take stuff and apply it to your life and the different relationships that you have. As already stated, next week we are going to have an all-music worship Sunday. We'll take the Lord's Supper. We will spend some time in prayer. And then the following week we are going to start a new series on Joseph, the son of Jacob. Uh, I'll come up with some pithy title, I'm sure. Uh, but we're just going to look at the life of Jake, uh, uh, the life of Joseph, and look at the different things that we can learn from him and his story. Uh, quick overview of, I'm sure you all know, but just in case, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. Uh, ended up in Egypt where he was in prison for a long time. God never forgot about him. He eventually found favor of Pharaoh and was transitioned into a leadership role in the country of Egypt. And frankly, probably rescued millions of people due to his connection with God. And so. He's a pretty cool guy, and there's a lot to learn from him and from his story, and so we're going to dive into that. But that's what's coming. For now, we're going to finish our series, The I and Team, and today we're looking about how we handle differences in opinion. You know, when Jarek and I first found out that we were going to be parents really a long time ago, uh, sounds crazy, but Cordelia is nine years old. Uh, when we first found out that we were going to be parents, we had lots of advice thrown at us. Some of it uh, was sought after, some of it was not, uh, but lots of people had opinions. The advice that was given most frequently to us was to present a united front, or at least that's the advice that I remember the most standing out to us. Be together, don't let your kids play you against each other. Uh, we are sometimes, the majority of the time I would say, su successful at that, but occasionally uh, they get us. Uh, in summary, what we were basically being told was to be unified, right? To be together. After all, great teams have great unity. But there's a misconception out there in the world that somehow, some way, that just kind of naturally happens. It's just about personalities mending together perfectly, and one day you wake up and you're unified. And that's not exactly true. It's not always true that peace is just naturally fit. And what we have to understand is that that type of unity, that type of togetherness has been earned. It's been fought for. It's been battled for. And as parents, when we both come into uh, having children, we both had different views on what we thought would be right in different situations. We have had different views on punishment. We've had different views on the way we would potty train kids and sleep training and different things like that. Right? I thought one way was better, she thought another way was better, and what it took was for us to have communication. It took for us to have those talks in order to find where our unity would be. And so we're looking at today how we can fight for unity and how we can earn it. You see, because it's a false belief that good teams are always on the exact same page. In fact, good, it's quite the opposite with good teams. Differences of opinions will take place conflict will take place. We talked about that earlier in a week, and as we talked about, conflict is a good thing. What needs to be, what, what we have to settle on is that we aren't going to let difference of opinions weaken our team. Because if we look at it the right way, it's going to do the opposite. It's going to make us stronger. But in order for differing opinions to benefit our team, we have to ensure I am stuttering like crazy today. I don't know what's happening. We, I think I'm cold. I'm shivering. We have to ensure that we're structured properly. That's not true. Don't turn the air down. I'll die. Uh, first and foremost, we all need to be in agreement that disagreements are okay. We all need to be in agreement that disagreements are okay. 
right? Disagreements will arise. When it comes to being a part of leadership or any other part of a team, our job is never to suppress a difference of opinion. You know, a lot of times in a team, especially a lot of times in churches, when the team, the leadership has decided to go one way, but there's one person who maybe doesn't quite agree with that, there's this whole rallying cry and this whole focus on, well, let's not let that opinion get out. Right? We don't want there to be any cracks in the foundation, so to speak. We don't want people to think that there's any weakness in the way that we're thinking and in the plan that we have. But we're to never, ever suppress differing opinions. First of all, they're going to happen. That seems obvious. But believe it or not, they're actually a desirable outcome. As one author puts it, one person's insights balance another person's quirks. I like that a lot. One person's insights balance another person's quirks. We all have quirks. And sometimes we need those things to be smoothed out by others around us. That's the benefit of working within a team. And the fact of the matter is that any team is stronger when its unity comes out of diversity. I'm gonna say that again. Any team is stronger when its unity comes out of diversity. When in short, you've had to battle for your togetherness. It makes you stronger. It makes you better communicators. We need to be more than birds of a feather. We need to be more than birds of a feather. You see, unless opposing opinions are heresy or just plain hate, there's no reason to fear them. And there's certainly no reason to suppress them. The second thing that we have to have in place as part of our structure to be a good team and to be able to accept differing opinions is to make sure that everyone on a team or on your team has a right to express their opinion. See, everyone on a team has a right to express their opinion. We've all been around that one person, that one coach, that one boss, maybe that one boyfriend or girlfriend, husband and wife. I'm careful about that one. Who has to have it their way? Right? The because I said so crowd. I sometimes go for that in parenting. I'm not going to lie. Why do I have to do that, Dad? I'm tired because I said so, right? You do it because I said so. We've all been in relationships. We've all been in communications with people who had to have it their way because they said so. And not just that, they didn't even want to hear any other type of opinion. But the fact of the matter is that friction produces energy. And energy is essential for creativity and the effectiveness in church life. When we are stretched, when we are forced to think and question our own beliefs, that's when we grow. That's when we get stronger, not just individually, but as a group. When we can have a belief, but not just have that belief, but support it, that's when we are powerful. That's where we find strength. Different ideas should be allowed to coexist. And in the end, especially for us as a church, we should allow God to take the lead in discerning which opinion we should go with, which fork in the road we should take, so to speak. We also have to let the voice of the church speak. 
I may believe very strongly that we need to go a certain way or we need to do a certain thing. We should study this in Bible study or we should study that. But if I'm one of 12 and the other 11 say, no, I don't think so, we should do this. What am I supposed to say? No, because I said so. That doesn't work. That doesn't build fruitful relationships. That doesn't help a team flourish. So everybody needs a voice. And the last thing, and I know I've mentioned this throughout this series, but guys, I don't think that this can be mentioned enough. That team members must give each other the benefit of the doubt. Pastor, what do you mean by that? As I already said, I know that I've mentioned this principle. I know that we have talked about this in multiple ways. But it boils down to this, that we cannot harm one another intentionally. You're going to upset people at times. You're going to hurt their feelings. Something you do at some point in your life will wrong another person. What it boils down to was, was it intentional or was it accidental? And if we're to be a part of a strong team, we can't hurt one another intentionally just because they have an opposing opinion. You know, in Proverbs 18.2, it says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. You see, one of the reasons that we harm each other, especially in discussions like this that arise when conflict happens, when differing opinions exist, one of the reasons that we harm each other is because we are married to our opinion. When we formulate an opinion, when we hold a stance, we do so because one, we see the value in it, and two, because we think it's right. If those two things don't exist, I don't know why you feel the way you feel or why you think the way you think, you might be crazy. But we hold a specific opinion because we think there's value in it and because we think that it's right. We see the strength within it. And so when we're presented with opposing views, it starts to feel like a personal attack. Rather than seeing someone else as believing what they believe because they see the value in it, and because they believe it's right, we just think that they're attacking us. And then we make the team about us as individuals. And we can't do that. So what can I do to support the team? I can give everybody a voice. And I can give them the benefit of the doubt. I can trust that they are sharing their beliefs and that they hold their beliefs because at the end of the day, they think that it's going to make me better. They think that it's going to make us better. See, we have to see and know and understand and have faith that our teammates are seeking to make us better. You know, Jack and I are on the same coaching staff and we talk to our kids about this all the time. I know we've mentioned it at least five times that I could remember. I was thinking back to it. We never coach a kid trying to make them worse. We never raise our voice. We never single them out. We never instruct them to do a certain thing 
because we want them to be embarrassed. We want to hurt their feelings. We want them to feel bad about themselves. It is to make them better. It is to make us all better. That's how a good team works. And so part of that conversation is to accept your coaching. Accept your coaching. Don't take it personally. Don't see it as an attack. Understand that we are trying to make you better because we want to be better. And in the end, it not only benefits you, but it benefits all of us. And I think if we could all apply that to our lives, we would be better for it. If we would take differing opinions as people trying to make us better rather than them trying to beat us up, make us feel bad, make us feel stupid, make us feel small. But if we really searched out for the merit in what it was that they had to say. We look at Romans 14, 1 through 4. It says, Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. You know, when you hear this term, faith is weak, it doesn't sound very encouraging. Right? Like, the person who has an opinion different than yours is weak. Really, all Paul is trying to express here is, when somebody thinks differently than you, and there's no reason to fight about it, don't fight about it. So continuing in verse 2, But another, one whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them both. If I was translating this, I would put both there. God has accepted them both. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? You see, God's servant. That's what Paul should have said. Who are you to judge God's servant? They're not for you to judge. It's for God to judge. And if God has accepted, you must too as well. To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. That last statement is an expression of faith. That even though someone thinks differently than you, even though their opinion may not actually be helpful, it might actually be harmful, you need to understand that God can make them upright. God can correct their path. God may also need to make you upright. He may also need to correct your path. But He is capable. And so we need to not only view our opinion as just one of many, but we also need to avoid quarreling over small disputes. This is more than conflict, right? Again, conflict is a good thing. Conflict causes friction. Friction produces energy. Energy produces creativity. All of that helps us grow. As we previously talked about, conflict, when looked at correctly, when our goal at the heart of that conflict is to, again, make one another better, to strengthen the team, that is good. But quarreling only has one end in sight. Quarreling only has the victory in sight. I just want to win. I just want to win. I don't care if I hurt them. I don't care if I chase them away. I don't care right now if I'm right or wrong. I just want to win. We can't afford to have that attitude. We also can't 
be unaccepting to others just because they have a difference of opinion. Again, is there a boundary? Is there a certain point where that ends? Do we just accept everyone and everything and every thought and every belief? No. If it's not heresy, if it's not pure hate, if it doesn't stand against the Word of God and God Himself, then it's not worth quarreling over. It's not worth the conflict. But yes, there comes a point for all of us where we must stand firm on our beliefs and stand firm in our faith. We can't be afraid of others who aren't afraid to voice their opinion. At the end of the day, we want all conversation to be fruitful. And in order to have fruitful discussions, it's important to have a plan. It's important to have a plan. How are we going to handle these matters? Let's look at Matthew 18, 15 through 17. It says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now this passage is specifically about addressing sin. I don't want to confuse the message because, as I've already stated, there's nothing wrong with differing opinions. So the comparison here isn't sin and differing opinions. The comparison is the structure of how you handle sin and how you handle differing opinions. If you have a difference of opinion with your teammate, your spouse, your boss, your coworker, a fellow church member, the first conversation that you need to have is with them. It's with them. Got to put on our big boy and big girl britches. We got to go have a conversation that may be uncomfortable. But we need to make sure, out of the respect not only for our opinion but for theirs, that we have a conversation one-on-one -on -one with them. Because you see what so often happens when a difference of opinion arises, when conflict starts to take place, is that the person who feels like they're being wronged goes behind the other and starts planting seeds. Well, this is how I feel about it, but they don't feel that way. And uh, I'm going to talk to you about it. Have you talked to them? No. Why haven't you talked to them? Well, I just don't know. I don't think it'll make a difference. They don't think the same way I do. They're not going to agree with me. And so we spend our time and we spend our energy seeking out justification in others planting seeds of discord, starting to crumble our foundation when what really needed to take place was a conversation one-on-one. -on -one. But as Scripture points out, sometimes that doesn't always work. Sometimes that's not always fruitful. Sometimes you're more comfortable having others with you. I don't think there is a problem with that. Sometimes conversations do need to happen in a group, especially if you've already had a conversation with the person one-on-one. -on -one. That benefits us to have other people involved in those things. Why? Well, 
For one, it gives us a witness. It gives us a witness. There's this TikTok trend. Uh, TikTok, it's on different types of things, but it's like this thing, and it's either a girlfriend or it's a boyfriend, and husband, wife, whatever, and they're like, Jerry said he doesn't love me anymore. And in the background, they get, I didn't say that. I just said you couldn't buy any more cats. It's the same thing, right? You ever been in a conversation with somebody and all you did was disagree with their opinion, but somehow it turned into, they said they hate me and that I'm stupid. No, I never said that. It's good to have a witness so the witness can say, yeah, that actually was never said. They never said they hated you. They definitely didn't call you stupid. They just said they disagreed, right? But it's good to have accountability for both parties. It's good to have accountability for both parties. And at the end of the day, if somebody is just determined to quarrel, if somebody is just determined to win, then that must escalate. Because while there is room for differing opinions, there's no room for the destruction of a body of Christ. There's no room for the destruction of a body of believers. And so eventually it must get to a point where it goes to leadership, where it goes to elders, maybe it goes church-wide, which hopefully we can always avoid by having that conversation one-on-one or in a small group. But there comes a place in time, like I said, where we must stand firm and where we must hold people accountable for their desire to be a victor rather than someone who's trying to build up the team. Guys, in the end, as a team, it always comes back to be successful in achieving our end goal. Right? As a team, it always comes back to being successful in achieving our end goal. And as we've talked about in this series, our end goal simply stated is to choose second so that others can be first and have a relationship with Jesus. At the end of the day, that's what we're pushing toward. And you know what? When the team finds success, we all do. When the team finds success, we all do. But only if that's our focus. Only if that's our focus. I remember one time when I was in high school and uh, we were playing a baseball tournament and it was the Willard tournament. I played baseball for Hillcrest and uh, it was my first year playing and, you know, I wasn't great, uh, to be honest. I think I held a record for the heaviest uh, right fielder of all time. Uh, it was kind of just a big waddler. Uh, <laughs> I would catch the ball if it came to me, but I wouldn't really run anything down. I hit okay, but not great. Simply put, there were a ton of guys on the team that were better than me. And there was a game where I was supposed to get in. I was told at the beginning by my coach, hey, you're going to play today. And so I was looking forward to it. I was excited. I mean, I'm competitive. I wanted to play, and I didn't get in. We ended up winning that game. And he said, you know what? I promise. I'm sorry. I, I just messed up. In the next game, I'll get you in. But the next game was the championship game in the tournament. And I didn't get in. It'd be really easy to look at that coach and to say, you're a jerk, you lied. And frankly, he did lie. But he wasn't trying to be a jerk. He lost sight of his promise and his desire to win. And you know what? As a team, we won. As a team, we got to hold up that trophy. 
As a teen, I remember we all got medals. But I wasn't a part of that team. Not because I didn't get into play, but because of how I handled it when I wasn't chosen. I was pouty. I was angry. I didn't talk to anybody. I just packed up my stuff and I left. I should have been happy. Should have been joyous. We won a big tournament. It was important for our team. It was important for the other 13 guys that were on my team who played their hearts out and deserved to win and deserved to be celebrated. But all I was thinking about was me. I was destructive in a time where I could have found joy. So why, while it's an obvious statement that when the team finds success, we all do understand that largely that's up to you. That's up to you if you find the success in the team. If you're willing to celebrate the success when it comes rather than focus on why your idea, your point of view, what you wanted wasn't chosen, then you can be a part of that successful team. Or you can leave them wondering why you're so incredibly unhappy at what good has transpired. The I in team. There definitely is one. And how successful the team is is largely up to you. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the insights that you give us and the things that you teach us. Lord, at the end of the day, we are called to be members of a team to be part of the body of Christ, to choose second, to be servants. We've never been called to glorify ourselves. We've never been called to chase personal victory. We've never been called to make it about us. And how crazy is it that we can sometimes do that in our life when we serve a God who didn't make it about him, who gave up his son, who didn't make it about himself, even though he could have. At the end of the day, Jesus came and he walked this earth and he was rejected by this earth for others because his heart was for others and because he loved others. And even he didn't do it alone. He called the 12. He had friends. He had supporters. And even though he could have done every single instant of it all by himself, he chose a team. chose a brotherhood and a sisterhood. He chose to be together. So God, I would pray that you would give us that same exact heart. 
and desire to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, to be a part of a team whose focus isn't inward but outward, who desires above all else to make others first so that they can meet Jesus and know Jesus. God, five years from now, we may have 10,000 people attending our church. We may have 30. But none of that matters if the focus isn't on you and isn't on furthering the kingdom of God. Convict us of those things that we need to let go of. Those things that we selfishly cling to. The desire to be verified. To always be victorious. And replace within us, God, the heart of Jesus. I ask for these things in your precious name. Amen. I'm going to stand right up here. Some of you I know need prayer. If you're comfortable praying with me, please come do so. If you just need to pray and you don't really want me to do it, I'm okay with that. We have a stage that doubles as an altar. And yes, you could stay right there in your seat and you could pray right where you are. But you could also be an encouragement to others, to your teammates, to your brothers and sisters in Christ. To show them that not only is there something you need prayer for, but that you also believe that there is strength in praying to God. If you need to talk to me about salvation, about what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, then please do so. Don't leave this place without having that conversation today. If you want to become a member of our church, we would love to have you. I just ask that you talk to me after service about that. Come up to me. If I'm talking with somebody else, interrupt us. Otherwise, let's just stand right now. Let's let everything else fall to the wayside. Let's strip ourselves of everything that's distracting us. And let's just worship God.